I'd like to thank uh, Ross, our teacher, and Mary, uh, Ross's co-teacher. Sure. Thank you um, for everything, but for inviting me to give this talk. Sure. And I trust you'll mop up anything oh. that needs to be mopped up. <laughs> Within your Zazen posture, be at ease. Check. Check where to release any tension. Drop the shoulders. Be at ease, but we're deeply in session. So with a flame hiding in cotton wool, your soft, smouldering belly Release any tension and check how that feels. Content, grateful. The flame hiding in cotton wool is a line from a great poem by Rumi. It's one of many great poems in Tegan Dan Layton's Zen Questions and I'll read some other lines, not the entire poem. Or maybe the entire poem. The whole place goes up. Today, with spring here finally, we ought to be living outdoors with our friends, building in the beehive air our true hexagonal homes. Someone comes in from outside saying, don't play music just for yourselves. Now we're tearing up the house like a drum, collapsing walls with our pounding. We hear a voice from the sky calling the lovers and the odd lost people. We scatter lives. We break what holds us. Each one a blacksmith, heating iron and walking to the anvil. We blow on the inner fire with each striking we change, the whole place goes up, all stability gone in smoke. How do we break what holds us? How do we learn to express our heart more fully, to find the deeper truth of our lives? We are all a little bit wounded, the odd, lost people. Dogen says, drop body and mind. It's from the Genjo Khan we read yesterday afternoon, fascicle four, and you will, many I'm sure, know it very well. To study the way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad things. When actualized by the myriad things, body, your body and mind, and the bodies and minds of others drop away. No trace of realization remains, and this no trace continues endlessly.
Rumi, in another of his poems, says, Wash yourself of yourself. But returning to Dogen, the 13th century Japanese Zen master, who after returning from four years as a young monk in China, soon radicalised Japanese Buddhism with his profound writings and teachings. Soto Zen is based on those teachings. So my talk today is focusing on some lines from Fascicle 4. It's perhaps the best known piece of Dogen's writing, the Genjo Koan, or actualising the fundamental point. He tells us how to break what holds us. To forget the self. To be actualised by myriad things. And when actualised by myriad things, your body and mind, as well as the bodies and minds of others, drop away. Myriad things? Green, green, green grass. The little Buddha by the windowsill. Heartbeat. Wandering thought. Twinge in the back. Actualised, allowing their life, all life, as you. Nothing to add, nothing to get rid of or contrive. When there's only what arises, oh, a missed bell. Oh, that sutra page. And what arises is the universe complete. Thank you. <laughs> we are encouraged by glimpses. And our story has, our tradition has many stories of events when mind and body of self, as well as those of others, dropped away. We've heard of a ping of a pebble striking a bamboo broom. Or more locally, the chink of a kettle against a stove. A favourite story of mine is Chiyono, the first Japanese woman to receive Zen Dharma transmission. She lived in the same 13th century as Dogen, and she was born when Dogen was 23 setting out in a little boat to China. In The Hidden Lamp, a collection of koans and stories from women masters, it tells of her seeking advice from an elderly Buddhist nun in the convent where she worked as a servant with little time for Zazen. The elderly nun gave a long reply, which included, people are complete as they are. If you want to know your true nature, you need to turn towards the source of your delusive thoughts. This is called Sazen. When we investigate and welcome home this one, befriend every twinge and every heartache of this one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Chiono sat wholeheartedly. But that sitting included her servant duties, more so than formal Zazen posture, Samu. One full moon night, she took her old bucket to the well to draw water, and as she did, the bottom of the bucket, held together by bamboo strips, suddenly gave way, and the reflection of the moon vanished with the water. No trace. She wrote, With this and that, I tried to keep the bucket together, and then the bottom fell out. Where water doesn't collect, the moon doesn't dwell. Hmm. Merle Kodo Boyd, in her commentary in The Hidden Lamp, asks, what's your this and that? How are we trying to keep the bucket together? And for some of you, not such an old bucket. Hmm, Seshin. One more knee pad, less lunch, mm -mm. more lunch. We have so much of our this and that keeping our life together, and rightly so, in our daily lives. During session, however, they continue and loom large, especially in our breaks, our little rituals of another kind. Um, do you have a favourite toilet? <laughs> I do. <laughs> How resourceful and alluring our constructed self is. And yet yesterday we chanted, we read in the afternoon or sort of chanted, the one way knows no differences, the foolish cling to this and that. So Sing Sing Ming encourages us to let go of this and that. Zazen and Seshin in particular helpfully challenge the illusion of the perfect bucket. It's Chiono's bucket falling apart during summer that is most instructive. She was doing, she was doing. And as Ross often says, enlightenment is as enlightenment does. In Zen Master Raven, Aitken Roshi writes, Woodpecker was helping Raven arrange daffodils for a meeting. And being an earnest student, um, I think Woodpecker took the opportunity. What's liberation? Hmm, a couple more daffodils over on this side, Raven said. You're not answering my question. <laughs> daffodils. Chiano's palm was well known, and a century later, a nun living at Tokoji Temple in Kamakura, Japan, Japan was working with Chiono's palm. And we don't know, but maybe in the midst of Samu, when her body and mind, as well as the bodies and minds of others, dropped away. She wrote of this, the bottom out of the bucket, the pale moon of dawn, is caught in rain puddles. We hear an echo of Dogen, just a puddle an inch wide, the moon's reflected.
is she doing? Chiono's moon vanished when the water fell away. Yozin said it was caught in rain puddles, maybe speaking of us sitting here together as bodhisattvas, all reflecting. Tokaje was a women's refuge temple. No man entered for 600 years. It was where women, often of aristocratic families, sought sanctuary from inappropriate marriages or abusive situations. Um, we heard of Jiang last night, who ran away with her lover rather than be married to someone inappropriate. They weren't all so fortunate. After three years living in Tokaji, they were considered divorced. During 1989, I worked briefly as a housemaid and cook for Anne and Robert Aitken. And when I was about to fly to Japan en route home for a visit to Australia, Anne told me about Tokaji and that it was her favourite temple to try to visit. It was a time when I was desperately trying to experience bottom of the bucket falling. An event. And the deluded grasping not only left me frustrated and bleak, but banished any deepening of my practice, despite endless contriving of this and that. Disheartened, I climbed the eight or so humble stone steps to the little temple. It was very small and mostly had small rooms with portraits of various of the abbess, abbesses. I'm not sure. But I found sanctuary in the leafy, moss-damp grounds of the temple cemetery. There I was astonished to find headstones of R.H. Blythe and D.T. Suzuki. But it was two soft-footed women quietly sweeping the paths that brought the Dharma and indeed the cemetery to life. Exhausted by all the trying and travelling, the women's presence refreshed my mind. I sat on a stone step and wrote a letter to Anne. Just three years later, in 1992, Ross became a teacher who has encouraged me through fire, flood and muddy water ever since. Some conditioning and old habit patterns hang in for decades. My preoccupation with gaining mind held my Zazen hostage, little noticing how tiny ships were sneaking in. It stayed along with its baggage of comparisons and corrosive envy until Dogen's writing on practice realisation loosened the grip. He consistently emphasises practice realisation or practice enlightenment as nothing separate throughout his abundant texts. Curiously, not once does he mention an event in his own writing. The closest we have in his is in his record of a conversation with his teacher Ru Jing that took place in the Master's quarters. Ru Jing's phrase, body and mind as well as the bodies and minds of others drop away, 
when actualising the myriad things I should have said first. There's a conversation recorded in Kaz Tanahashi's book Enlightenment Unfolds that gives the record of the conversation. And it was Kazan in his biography that described the event that took place in the dojo. Dogen never quite said that. Dogen, however, uh, took that phrase. It meant it was a turning point for his practice, for sure. And he used it in his writing when he returned to Japan and wrote the Genjo Koan for a lay student in Kyoto. It's wonderful that the Genjo Koan was written for a lay student. Here we are. Each time we relax as whatever arises, we actualize the fundamental point. I think there's a fly in here. <laughs> Lovely water, Alistair, thank you. Ross gave me Gua Gu, a great article. Gua Gu is a Dharma heir of Shen Yang. There's a great article called You Are Already Enlightened. And his timing was perfect because I was... <laughs> a central charm teaching is that we are intrinsically awake. Birds and trees and stars and we ourselves come forth in perfect harmony. We chant that every Thursday evening. Do you believe it? Glenn Wallace has recently said, there's no way to realisation. And I, this may be a mistake, but could add no way from, other than sticking, attaching to a fixed illusory self, or the me that isn't here, as Mary Ridwin so eloquently says, and we love to repeat. Over time, it's the final lines in the famous quote from Dogen's Fascicle 4 that resonate. No trace of realisation remains, and that no trace continues endlessly. Sitting zazen, booting up the computer, chatting with a neighbour, a little glimpse, has a traceless flow unless we make something else of it. Every action entered into fully occurs and is gone. Ease, confusion, memories, irritations, lifting the bowl, the cool of the floor on the forehead, glide through as the universe expressing itself. As we train and practice, for some the dropping away can come as a flash of lightning, for some in a downpour of rain. But the imperceptible feather-soft moisture, even unrecognisable as rain, soaks us in the way. Steady dampness and sudden downpours have no trace, and we continue our practice by not possessing or making anything of them. 
No trace of realization remains, and that no trace continues endlessly. We greet whatever is here with open hands in wonder, over and over and over. I leave you with a question from The Hidden Lamp by Florence Caplow and Susan Moon, the editors. What in your heart would change if realization wasn't a noun after all? <laughs>